Well, today, let me finish up this series called Anti, Anti. Are you proud of me? Uh, uh, I'll probably say anti at some point. I'm, I'm just going to, but I'll do my best. Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God. There's a whole, like a big portion of what Jesus was doing throughout his teaching time, when you read in the gospel, was really teaching his followers, we call them disciples, teaching his followers what life was like in the kingdom. And a lot of his time and energy was spent drawing parallels between those who were following him, those who were surrendered to his kingdom, what life was like for them, what their worldview, what their beliefs, what their experience spiritually was supposed to be versus those who were not following him. And really, Jesus sort of sort of breaks it down into this very clear idea that regardless of, of what people may think or what people may believe, that, that there really is just two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and there is the kingdom of darkness. Now, in our world, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of you know, it's all about individuality. It's all about, you know, believe what you want, think what you want, feel what you want. Um, but, and, and that's not new. I mean, we, we love as modern people, we love to think our ideas and our concepts are new. But it's a really the same story. It's the same story that's been repeated over and over and over again through history. Man uh, has attempted to be his own God or surrender to God. And when man attempts to be his own God, he loves to puff out his chest and to act like he's doing his own thing, making his own way, has some original thought. But what we understand from human history, because there's a pattern that always goes through when man tries to do his own thing, he leads to his own destruction. Uh, he leads to, it, it leads to a place where he subjugates and abuses other people at the cost of his own um, exhaust, exalting of self, and then ultimately his destruction. And so there's really just two kingdoms. There's, there's these two kingdoms that are at work in the world. You may think, oh, I believe this, I'm an atheist, or I believe that, or I'm this religion or that religion. There's really just two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness. And everything that isn't the kingdom of light is the kingdom of darkness. And, and oh, by the way, just so that we're all clear, Jesus was very clear, there's only one kingdom of light and he is the king and there's no other way into that kingdom besides him. There's no other way into the kingdom of heaven besides Jesus. If a person does not confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he rose from the dead and that he is Lord, they are not in the kingdom of God fundamental to our conversation as believers is this understanding that there is no other way whereby man is saved outside of Jesus Christ. But they're a good person. They're a kind person. They're a loving person. None of those things makes a person in the kingdom of God. There is no other way whereby man is saved outside of Jesus Christ. 
Do you not respect other people who believe differently than you? Of course I respect them. Do you not love them? Of course I love them. It's because I love them that I won't pretend that a lie is truth. It's because I love them that I risk offending them by telling them the gospel, which is that there is no other way whereby one is saved except through Jesus Christ. We'll get there. I'll keep saying it until we get there. Oh, you can't say that. I know you can't say that. I know you can't say that. I know that's why people were hung upside down on crosses. I know that's why the church has been hunted and destroyed and persecuted through its, from its inception was because they were insistent that there is one way whereby man is saved and that is through Jesus Christ. When we capitulate the gospel and make it about all these other things so that we're socially acceptable and we water it down, here's the thing, friend, when everybody likes us, it should be an indication that we're in trouble. When everyone applauds for us, it's an indication that we should be considering maybe we're in trouble. A follower of Jesus, a Jesus follower, cannot be careless with their meditation, confession, and declaration. That's what this series is all about. I cannot get sidetracked. I cannot allow the declarations of my mouth, which originate in the meditation, the the inner dialogue, let's use that expression, the inner dialogue of my soul, what comes out of my, my mouth, we've learned in this series, is really the result of the inner dialogue of my soul, my meditation. And as a follower of Jesus, when I talk about being anti-anti, what I'm talking about is understanding that the spirit of Antichrist, 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, is at work in the world. And either I am aligning with the spirit of Antichrist, or I am aligning with the spirit of Christ, the kingdom of light. That my meditation, the things that I think about, my inner dialogue, is either aligned with the word of God, or it is aligned... It is aligned with the kingdom of darkness. And I have to make sure that I am aligning my life with the kingdom of light. Jesus was very clear to his followers. You either align with my kingdom or you're aligning with the kingdom of darkness. And you can tell that. You can tell that by what's coming out of your mouth. See, alignment in my soul is demonstrated by its fruit. The fruit of my soul. Alignment in my soul is demonstrated in its fruit. What's the fruit of the soul? The fruit of the soul is the confessions, the declarations of my mouth. In this series, we've simply been trying to create an awareness that I am responsible for my meditation, my internal dialogue. I am responsible for my confession. I am responsible for my declaration. I don't get to say, oh, I just slipped up. That's not who I really am. That's not what I really think. No, no, no. It's really clear. Scripture is clear. What comes out of my mouth is an indication of what's happening in my soul. My confessions and declaration is bearing fruit, or it is fruit, of my meditation. Our core verse for this series has been Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 through 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. In other words, your confessions and your declarations are what you're chowing on. Your confessions and your declarations It's producing the fruit that you're eating. 
your existence, what you eat, what you consume every day, it's a product of your confessions and your declarations. You're establishing the reality, the fruit that you're going to consume in your life. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. And then he says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. When he says love it, he's saying those who are intentional about it. Those who are intentional about their confession and their declaration. Those who are paying attention to their confession and declaration. Those who are mindful of their confession and declaration. They're going to be, they're going to be satisfied by the fruit that is produced in their life. Now, if you haven't been here during this series, you can go onto YouTube or you can go onto our podcast and you can catch up. I don't have time to unpack everything that we've covered so far in this series. And so some of this you're going to need to catch up on. We're not talking about some mysticism whereby I, the universe bends to my will and I, I speak words into existence. That is garbage. You are not God. You are not God. You don't create the universe. You don't make things happen with your words. That's not what this, page, uh, this passage is talking about. It's also not religious legalism where somehow or another God's up in heaven uh, on like some, like is bipolar and doesn't know what he's going to do today and is waiting for you to tell him. God's not up in heaven about to have a nervous breakdown because of every just careless thing that I say. So we're, we're not talking about being religious or like somehow or another we're controlling God or he owes it to me. Oh, if I do this, then he owes it to me. Come on. Does that not, I mean, does that not bug you at all? Like, is your God that small? Like, we applaud these preachers who say this garbage, and we, like, subscribe to their YouTube channels. And does it not bother you at all that we reduce God and make him that small? There's nothing inside of you that says, man, that doesn't really align with Scripture. That somehow the, the, uni the creator of heaven and earth is up in heaven like a dog on a leash who's waiting for me to. Am I the only one? I mean, I know we love it because it goes back to Genesis, and it, it makes us God. We but there's not something inside of you that's just a little bit offended by that? Okay, maybe this side. Are you with me? So we're not talking about mysticism, and we're not talking about religious legal. We're, we're talking about the true biblical understanding of the fact that I'm responsible for my confession and declaration because it is the fruit of the internal confession and declaration. What my soul what my soul is meditating on. I don't have a lot of time, so I'm gonna try to finish this up really quickly. This because we've been going through all the Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, verses 16 through 19 says this: A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the others come and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful and contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and a quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Now, when, we, when you read the book of Proverbs, you've got these individual sayings that are all wonderful, and they're kind of like slogans, and you can make really wonderful memes out of them. And they, they, there's thoughts that kind of seem to stand alone on their own, and they are powerful thoughts, and they are truths 
for life. But you always need to understand them in context. And the context of this conversation of Proverbs chapter 18 is this, this, this broader idea that there is the wise person and there's the foolish person. The foolish being someone who's immature or careless about their confession and declaration. Someone who's careless about what they allow their soul to meditate on. That's the foolish person, and so as a result, their communication is going to continually to be immature or childish or foolish. And then there's the wise person who kind of postures themselves in a broader communication standard that is healthier and that is mature. And so when you're reading all of these sort of individual proverbs, you have to understand them in light of the broader message. And so I just, I, I know that there are those three little thoughts there that, that can stand on their own, but I want you to see them in light of the context of you and I understanding that we are responsible for our meditation, our communication, that we are responsible for our confession and our declaration. Three things I want you to see very, very quickly. Number one, I want you to see this. Considerate and generous communication are earmarks of a healthy soul. Considerate and generous communication are earmarks of a healthy soul. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what I mean this is notice the writer says, a man's gift makes room for him. Now, listen to me. Listen to me, South Africans. He's not talking about bribery. No, no, he's clearly talking about, no, 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 no. There's another word in Proverbs, in the original language, when he is talking about bribery, and this is a different word. He's not talking about bribery. He's talking about an authentic gift, a thoughtful consideration of another person in which you, as the one who's going to communicate with them, have taken into consideration something that's of value and worth to them, not to manipulate them, but because you appreciate them, because you've considered them, because you are generous, not because you're trying to manipulate them. Not because you're trying to get what you want out of them, but you're approaching them from a posture of consideration and generosity. Because Some of us need to learn this today. We are so defensive in our communication. Power of life and death in the tongue. Boy, this is so good. This is so deep. It's going to change your life if you'll get it. The broader passage here says, look, a wise person, they operate from a place of generosity. They, they operate from a place of being considerate of the other person that they're communicating with. And so they approach, they approach interaction with another human being from a place of being considerate of the other person and being generous toward the other person. Your gift makes room for not your bribe, your gift, your generosity, your heart of taking into consideration the other person. That opens doors for you. Some of us put on the show, hi, how are you? And before they even answer, we start talking about whatever it is we want to talk about because we're going through cultural protocol. We don't really care about them. We go into a conversation not being considerate, not being generous. We've got an agenda. We've already got an agenda. And so as a result, for many of us, our communication, Pastor, why is my communication producing death in my life? Is it possible? Is it possible that your communication is producing death in your, li in your life 
Your communication is producing death in your relationships because is it possible, just consider it by the Spirit, consider it today. Is it possible that you go into the communication, that you go into the interaction from a posture and a place where an agenda is already established, that agenda has you at the center rather than God at the center? It has your idea and your ideals at the center rather than God and certainly not the other person. Second thing I want you to see, my meditation, confession, and declaration must be open to nuance and mediation. My meditation, confession, and declaration must be open to nuance and meditation. Get this, he says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. Think about this. Some of us are having such a difficult time having effective communication. Our communication just seems to bring about death. We can't talk about anything. We can't accomplish anything with our communication because we've come to a place where there is no nuance. Everything Everything is either one extreme or another extreme. The writer says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes along and examines. In other words, what he's saying is a wise person understands you've got to have the whole story before you make a decision. How many of you, when you were a kid and like something happened with you and your sibling, like you knew you better be the first one to get to mom to tell your side of the story. Because if you didn't, the belt was going to fly. And if you didn't get to tell your side of the story first, you were in trouble. There was no, there was no room for nuance. There was no, uh, there was no room for mediation. It was just response, response. A wise person understands that there's nuance. There's two sides to every story. That everything isn't extreme. That I need all of the information. That I need to take time to consider things before I rush to a decision. A fool rushes into a decision. They rush into their communication. A fool reacts. A wise person considers Some of us, our mouths get ahead of us, and as a result of our mouth getting ahead of us, we are damaging relationships. We speak before we consider. A wise person considers. You and I have to be committed to nuance and mediation. In other words, as the writer says, the lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between the powerful and contenders. Now, I'm certainly not proposing a theology of casting lots. But I am saying this, what the writer is clearly identifying is that there was space in a disagreement or there was space in a consideration of a choice, a decision, a subject for allowing for an outside source to come in and to mediate a conflict that seemed like it couldn't go forward. Some of us are so hard-headed, I love you, but hear me, some of us are so hard-headed And so headstrong that we will not allow for mediation in our communication. And we get to a loggerhead, we get to a wall, and then we think we're right. We're so committed. We're more committed to being right than we are to actually being right. Am I the only one that can admit that? You ever get yourself into an argument with your spouse or somebody else? 
And you get into it and you realize, oh, I'm so wrong. But I can't let her know that I'm wrong. Power of life and death is in the tongue. God, forgive me for all the times that I chose death. Because my pride wouldn't allow me to admit that I was wrong. Last thing I want you to see is from this passage, they seem unrelated, but they're all related. Last thing I want you to see is I'm accountable for the posture of my soul as it relates to my communication. I'm accountable for the posture of my soul. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Quarreling is like the bars of a castle. In other words, once you've decided I'm mad and I'm not gonna get over it, I'm offended and I'm not gonna get over it, you've hurt my feelings, you've done me wrong, you may be right, but I'm... I'm going to be right. I'm going to win this fight. Once you've decided in the posture of your soul that your position is more important than truth, friend, you've decided to align yourself with the kingdom of darkness that would choose death, that would choose pride, would choose the elevation of self over what is good and holy and right. If we're going to be effective in our communication, we're going to speak life and truth. It's not about getting up and making big King James sounding confessions and declarations. No, it's about posturing yourself in a place of humility, of being ready and willing with humility to say, I will not be offended. Many of us, for many of us, the death that exists in our life, it exists because we've got boundaries and barriers and lines that we've drawn in our life and says, if anyone crosses them, they've offended me. And once they've offended me, there's no going back. So as a result of those things, we choose a posture of offense and we stay in that posture of offense. I refuse for my soul to be comforted. Oh, how many times does the psalmist talk about that? I refuse for my soul to be comforted. Some of us are refusing to forgive, refusing to be forgiven. We're we're refusing to consider nuance, refusing to offer grace. Our soul just continually meditates on things that align us with the enemy about ourself, about others, and about God. And therefore, what comes out of our mouth are confessions and declarations that align with the enemy.